All right, get your Bibles, whether you tap or turn, to Mark chapter 7. Picking back up in this journey through the letter according to Mark, the gospel according to Mark, chapter 7, verse, verse 6 through 23. It's a continuation of the passage that we began last time a couple weeks ago. It's such an important passage. Really, I think probably overlooked in some ways, but according to, to, the, to Mark revealing the gospel, Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees is powerful. And really, it's answering a question that so many in his day had and so many today have. Who, who are acceptable before God? Who is approved? Who is welcomed by Jesus? And then who are actually far from him? And it's, it's not who we might expect. It has very little to do with the outward appearances. Maybe we should expect that by now. Jesus is first interested in the heart. And, and we might even be able to say Jesus is only interested in the heart because out of the heart flows all other things. All of our behaviors, all of our attitudes come from the heart. This is a consistent message throughout Scripture. So starting even much further back in the story than in Mark, let's move to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Very briefly. When God chose his servant to be the next king of Israel, King David, there's a really powerful encounter when he sent the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse, who had many sons. And he, all he told Samuel was, the next king to be anointed is among, amongst the sons of Jesse. And so Samuel goes and he first sees the eldest son, Eliab, who is tall and strong and clearly kingly. And Samuel thinks, this is the one. This is the chosen one, clearly, to be the next king of Israel. Do you remember this story? Some of you, some of you will. If you don't, it's a great story. First Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Doesn't mean he didn't love him. He just wasn't choosing this one. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That, I wanted to start there because that theme runs consistently throughout Scripture. If we miss that, we miss really the gospel entirely, the good news of the kingdom of God, that God looks to the heart first and foremost above all other things, not to the ways we perceive and choose and esteem, but according to completely different criteria, heart-level criteria. And this is so clear in the ministry of Jesus. He chooses and welcomes and accepts those that the world doesn't, those that the world overlooks, dismisses, rejects. He welcomes. We see that in the choosing of his own disciples to be the closest to him. If you're going to start a world, a movement to change the world, where are you going to follow, find your, your, your followers amongst the spiritual elites? To the, to the temple you go. In that day, the Pharisees would have been some amongst the religious elites who knew their Bibles inside and out, who were so faithfully adhering to not just the law of Moses, the Hebrew scriptures, but even to all of the oral traditions passed on by the teachers and scribes and rabbis over the centuries. They were so faithful. This would be who you would want to start the movement 
But that's not where Jesus goes. We wouldn't go to the shore of the Sea of Galilee and pick our followers amongst the fishermen mending their nets or to the outcast tax collector rejected by society. And that's who Jesus goes to, to to invite to follow him, to change the world through him. And when he encounters the Pharisees consistently throughout the stories of the Gospels, he has strong words for them, these religious elites. They're often the ones that he is most opposed to, and they're often the ones, they become the ones to accuse him and ultimately lead to his arrest. And he has this encounter with them in Mark chapter 7. We looked at it last time. In verse 6, he replies to the Pharisees and says, Isaiah the prophet was right when he prophesied about you, you're hypocrites, because it is written, these people honor me with lips only, their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Specifically, the tradition that was in in question here that we looked at was that of ceremonial cleansing of hands and certain dishes. And they were accusing Jesus' disciples of not following this tradition, eating with unwashed hands and therefore being defiled because they've become defiled in in the world. And Jesus actually rebukes them for this practice. They believed it was making them more holy. But it was not according to the law. It had gone far beyond the law. In the law, there was ceremonial cleansing required for the priests serving within the temple and for those coming to offer a sacrifice in the temple. The Pharisees took those requirements and tried to extend them even further to all areas of life with the rationale being, if it's good in the temple, if that leads to holy and acceptable practice, to being clean and right before God... Wouldn't it be better to, and good to extend that even to our own homes and to every place that we go? But in so doing, they took Scripture and went beyond it and even made that more, more primary as the definition of their holiness and righteousness before God than their adherence to the law. And this is where the rebuke comes. You're, you're doing all of these things, Jesus says, but your heart is far from me. It's all behavior. You're, a, you're hypocrites. You're putting on a show for the approval the attention and the applause of others. But your heart, what I care about, is far from me. Jesus goes on to drive home this point with two specific examples. We left these off last time. Continuing in verse 9. And and these examples would have been even more significant than the ceremonial washing traditions that they had. So he's pressing on them even more with sarcasm. You love this, right? For for those that appreciate good, good sarcasm. Jesus does it somehow with a pure heart. I'm not sure how to get there, but he does it. And he says in verse 9, he says to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And if that's not a sarcastic statement, I don't know what is. You have a fine way of setting aside God's commands to follow your own traditions. Good job. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death pretty harsh. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban. That is a gift devoted to God. Thank you, Mark or commentator to help us understand what that means. You no longer let the one who is devoted all things to God do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition, which you've handed down. And you do many things like this. Just one example amongst many. Maybe he did go on, but we don't have it recorded here. 
Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen, everyone, understand this. This is reminiscent of chapter 4. Hear and understand. Listen and receive. He's very, uh, very strong with his, his words here. Nothing outside of a person can make them unclean. It's the very thing they're, they're, they're arguing about, and they believe they're able to make themselves holy. Nothing outside a man can make them un, un, unclean. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd, he entered the house. The disciples came to ask him about this parable, which was not a parable. He was speaking plainly, and he says to them, Are you two so dull? Don't you see? Nothing that enters a man from outside can make him unclean, for it doesn't go into his heart. The heart was just the, the, the center of their being, where everything came from, their, their will, their emotion, their attention. It was, it, was, it was equivalent with the soul, although there's argument whether the, that heart and soul is, and spirit are different. They're used synonymously often. He wasn't talking about the, the beating organ within, within our chest, although clearly food doesn't go there either. But the food goes into the stomach and out of the body. Don't you understand at least this much? Not that they understand it much medically, but they understood this much. It doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Another commentary note, whether by Mark or by another. But he went on and he said, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, from, from men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside. That's what makes a person unclean. Elsewhere, he said, out of the overflow of the heart, we even speak. So whether good or evil, it's the heart that matters, not these external things that you're quibbling about and focusing on. Let's go through those quickly, those, those traditions that they were following. Apparently, the Pharisees had believed it was, even, it was more holy to devote everything to God, to the service of God in his temple, and to the following of traditions. That, that was the, the greatest sign of holiness, and that could therefore supersede any other requirements of the law. Now, whether they would directly state this or just in practice followed it, that's what Jesus is getting at. So all, if, I, if you devote everything you have, all that you own, all of your time and all of your energy to the service of God, you have nothing left for anyone else, even to care for your own parents. In that culture where there's no Medicare and Medicaid and assisted living and long-term health, health insurance, to honor your father and mother was to care for them in their old age or in their infirmity, to bring them to, in, into your own home. It was the greatest honor to them. And these Pharisees were saying, I have, I have nothing to give to you. I can't. I have no time, no energy. All my finances, everything is devoted to the Lord. I wish you well, but let another care for you. I'm called to a holier call. And Jesus says, no, you're completely missing the heart behind everything. Not only the number five on the top 10 list, but honor your father and mother. Not only are you ignoring that one, you're, you're treating trivial, trivially the harsh command to honor father and mother and to, to curse, to deny, to reject father and mother has an ultimate consequence. Ultimately, you're, you're missing the top commandment above all. Love God with heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do you do that? By loving others by serving and giving yourself to others, especially your own family, your own home, your own parents. They're completely missing the heart of the law. The next example may have even been harsher for them to receive. He goes after their diet. For, for a Jew, keeping a kosher diet prescribed by Leviticus and Deuteronomy, 
was something they highly valued. And with, with all the other ways to become unclean or to unwittingly break a commandment, we've, we talked about the Sabbath a little bit. You can unwittingly, unknowingly break the Sabbath and, and need, to, need to be cleansed for that or become defiled just in contact of daily living. Here's one that can be completely controlled. You can control what you eat and how you prepare food. It's a black and white thing. And by that, remain clean in your diet, clean according to the law. And when Jesus goes after this too, imagine what the, their response. He's going after something that is all they've ever known. And they can at least hold this as a sign of righteousness and holiness. And he's saying, Food doesn't make you holy or clean. Again, it's an external thing. No food ever touches one's heart. And just like these other commands, they were prescribed in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, but there's some vagueness to them. So over the centuries, the scribes, the teachers, the rabbis have expanded and refined even how to prepare their food and keep separate meat and dairy, how to prepare meat to have no blood in it, etc., etc., on and on. And, and the Pharisees believed they were following perfectly all of the letter of the law and all of the traditions. Now, some think Jesus was completely abolishing the kosher diet. And, and to be holy then meant to eat all kinds of foods. I don't believe that's what Jesus was doing. I don't believe that's even what Mark meant if he was the one that put in that parentheses, that comment, by saying this, Jesus made all food clean. What Jesus was saying, it's not about what you eat or don't eat. He, remember, he said he, he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, so to say there's no more dietary restrictions for the Jews would have been abolishing something in the law. I don't believe Jesus was doing that. I believe he, what he was saying was, if you're a Jewish, eat a kosher diet. It's not what makes you clean and holy, though. Understand the heart. Understand it's something, something other. If you're a non-Jew, if you're a Gentile, don't eat a kosher diet. Eat your own diet. Or do if that's a choice for you. But that, that too, does not make you holy and acceptable in God's sight. It's not about the externals. It's about the heart. I think it's arrogant and culturally insensitive to believe that just because Jews didn't eat bacon, that they felt oppressed. It's very likely that they had no desire whatsoever to eat any other diet. It's something they enjoyed and were used to. They had good and flavorful foods. They'd, they'd learned how to create culinary excellence over the centuries, and they didn't desire another way of living. What is the heart of the matter? The heart of the gospel. The ones closest to God, those acceptable to him, are not those who are perfect in behaviors, but those who are pure in heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure here, katharoi in the Greek means as much as it means clean and holy, it can mean singular, devoted, unwavering, pure in that sense. Those who are pure in heart, who are unwavering, who are drawing near to God and desiring to be with him and to know him, this is who will see God. Righteous behaviors do not necessarily lead to being close to God. It's those who are pure in their heart attitude and posture toward God. These are the ones who are acceptable to God, who are those who are drawn to him and want to be with him, who begin to follow Jesus, his ways and his words, not those who believe or behave 
the exact right things. I think that's challenging for us. If behavior was a requirement for acceptable, to become acceptable to God or for righteousness, then the Pharisees beat the disciples all day long, every day, and twice on Sunday. And I think, furthermore, maybe even more amazing to our 21st century years, being acceptable to God isn't first about believing the right things or the right doctrines. It's about coming to Jesus, being with him, and beginning to believe. Eventually having our behaviors change because our heart is being changed and transformed by the one that we are with, the God who is with us, Emmanuel. This is the heart of the matter. This is the gospel. We can even see it within the disciples that Jesus chooses to follow him. They are still not understanding and believing. He calls them dull. You're still not perceiving my teachings. You think I'm teaching in a parable when I'm not. When I teach in a parable, you don't understand it. Remember, they're consistently questioning, even at this point, who is this? And at this point, they've already been sent out on mission with the gospel to proclaim it amongst the nations, to heal the sick, to drive out demons. They've already been on this mission, and they still don't even understand who Jesus is. They're still coming to believe. They don't believe in the crucifixion and resurrection. And they are his disciples and his apostles. That is a striking truth to receive. Whereas these Pharisees, who have all of their behaviors exactly right according to the law, are far from the heart of God. Now some of us need to desperately hear today Jesus saying, come to me. You are welcome here. You are welcome to follow me, incline your heart to me. Come to my table. I see you. I love you. It doesn't matter who you are or who you aren't. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. It doesn't matter what the world has told you that you are. If the world has said that you are common or ordinary, I say you're exceptional. If the world has said you're unacceptable, I say you're beautiful. If the world has told you you're unlovable, I love you. I cherish you. If they tell you you're hopeless, I have hope for you and a future. It doesn't matter if you're poor or sick or struggling. I receive you. My grace is for you. I will lead you. I will be with you. Follow me. Begin to walk in and believe the truly good news of God's kingdom. Perhaps we need to hear that. Perhaps we all need to hear that reminder, the beckoning call of Jesus to us all. But we probably also need to hear the rebuke to the Pharisees, those that have been walking in religious behaviors for their whole life, or at least for decades, which would apply to many of us. Your hearts are far from me. Is that possible, that that's true of us, that we have drifted from the heart of God somehow 
incrementally? How does that even happen along the journey of faith? If you would say at one, at one time, maybe newly in your walk with Jesus, it felt like a flame or a fire. Has it dwindled, dwindled to a smolder? Has there been a drifting that, our, we, that we would receive that hard word, but true word, that our hearts are far from him, while our behaviors still look pretty good? Will we humbly ask Jesus to reveal the current burn of our heart for him? Incrementally, I believe it happens by adding more and more behaviors which we believe or have been taught would make us holy and bring us closer to God. And it's such a subtle danger because the desire can be right. I want to be closer to God. I want to be more holy. I don't want to break his laws or his commands, just like the Pharisees. But the subtle danger is believing it will make us more acceptable to him. We've already been accepted. We've already been drawn close. Jesus proves that in his life and his pursuit. He loves us too much to not come to right where we are and welcome us. He does love us too much to leave us there. He calls us to follow. But we've already been accepted. And if we've been inclined to come to him humbly and receive from him, there is no more grace that we can receive. We can receive grace upon grace as we continue to walk with him, but it doesn't become more through our behaviors. We don't become more holy in God's sight. This is the walk of the Pharisee, that by more and more behaviors, they become more and more pleasing. We struggle so deeply with amazing grace as we've been singing about it, to receive it. For some of us, it's just, frankly, too much to receive. And if we ever got close to it, we then quickly began to add behaviors to show God that he was right to give that grace to us or to earn it back from him. We'll work for that grace, Lord. You are so worthy of it. I will show you. I want more of your favor, Lord. You see, the, the danger here is in that the right desire then put into wrong terms that we could earn God's grace and his favor when it's already been given to us. If we'll just attend church every Sunday and a weekly Bible study and read the right books, we're always trying to find that right list of books and podcasts and music and avoid the bad ones. If we could abstain from certain worldly things and vices, if we can learn to vote the right way, serve in the right ministries, Give at least a tithe. Read the Bible daily. Better yet, on a yearly reading plan. If we could pray enough and the right way and on and on. And you know that it always goes on and there's always more if we follow down this line of thinking to lead to holiness and acceptability before God. And again, the subtle danger in that because these actions in themselves are not wrong. It's believing that they are what bring us closer to God. And Jesus says to those that follow this, like the Pharisee, your hearts are far from me. They've drifted into behaviorism, and that is not the gospel. The gospel is you belong with me. Come to believe in me. 
And your behaviors will change over time from the heart and the presence of the Spirit and walking with Him. The way of the world perpetuates the way of the Pharisee. It is natural to us. I'm sure every one of you is a part of some kind of club or community or social group. How did you become a part of that? For, for many of us, we can think of an initiation into it. I bought a Jeep. I'm a part of the Jeep community. I needed nothing else but the ability to do that. And now my behaviors start to show it. You, if you own a Jeep, you've got to wave to other people with Jeeps. It's just what you do. But instantly from day one, before I even knew that, people are waving at me because my behavior, I have joined the club by an external thing. Think of whatever club or social group you've been a part of, whether it was an initiation price or a behavior that brought you into it. You, you learn the lingo, the culture, the look that makes you immediately acceptable because, uh, because behavior is king and you can fake it until you make it. Maybe eventually you'll start to come to believe the core values and virtues and mantras of that said group. But even if you don't, if your behavior looks at you, are welcome. You are, you can belong through behavior. And, and Jesus flips this on its head. It's the upside down kingdom. First, you belong to me. It's what you were created for. Come to me. Even as you are starting to come to believe and before you even start to behave, you belong to me. You belong here. For all whose hearts would be inclined, come, follow me, and I will make you. I will change you. And God's patience for us in that change process is beyond any of us. We have a completely different timeline on what that change should look like, don't we? We want it instantaneously, and we want it now. And Jesus is so faithful to walk with those who are coming to believe and coming to behave more and more like him. The disciples show us this. Jesus was not saying to the, to the Pharisee that they could not be with him and could not follow him. He was not even saying to them to change their behaviors, to be less pharisaical. He was saying, change your heart. And many Pharisees did come to follow him. You need to repent of the ways you've been seeing the world and the kingdom. Metanoia, change your thinking, change your mind, come to me. I accept you in all of your lostness and your legalism. I welcome you. And this is good news to the world, to everyone ultimately, except for those who have figured out how to behave in a way that earns them power or esteem according to the world, or those who believe that their actions have led to holiness. When, our, when we say our desire is to become like a church without walls, and as we, as we transition, whenever that is, and whether September 12th is the right date or not, we've circled it and we're praying towards it. Obviously, we're holding everything in open hands as we walk with Jesus in this world that we live in and try our best to care for all peoples and love all peoples and move forward, not back. When we do move into a place where there are walls around us, how can we be a church without walls? When there's natural barriers simply in place from those that might be inclined to pursue Jesus 
But for whatever reason, whether the walls are actual or whether they are cultural, we have put barriers between people and Jesus. And we can do this with our words and our behaviors. If we reinforce the Pharisaical way that in order to belong with us, you must look like us in behavior, in action, maybe even in status or culture, then we have put up a wall. If you can behave the right way, then eventually, and, and believe the right things, come to believe the right things as we defined them, then you can belong with us. This is natural. This is the way of the world. It's the way of the Pharisee, and it's ultimately the way of the evangelical church. Jesus flips it on its head. He says, you are welcome to me. You are welcome to come. For I have come to you to be with you, everyone. And you are welcome to follow me, to grow to believe in my promises, and to see your behaviors change to be more like mine from that heart. The very tangible example of this is the communion table. Jesus welcomes all to his communion table. Look at that very first communion. Those disciples around that table did not believe in the crucifixion or resurrection. The ones closest to him, Peter, James, and John, he would invite to come and pray with him, to intercede in his, his hour of greatest need, and they would fall asleep on him more than once. Peter, in a few short hours, was about to deny him, to betray him three times. Just about every one of them was about to flee from him from the cross for fear of their own lives. And in a few short minutes from that table, Judas was about to stab him in the back and walk out on him. And to that group, Jesus not only said, drink from my cup, receive my body, but he washed their feet. He welcomed them all to his table. Our Friday night food trucks have been like a tangible table this last year. Come all who are hungry. It doesn't matter who you are or who you aren't, what you look like or what you don't look like, what color your skin is, what color your hair is, what color your flag is. You are welcome to this table. Come and eat. As we stop that ministry and we transition into new ways of serving and giving generously, praying all along the way, and we're excited for those opportunities and building homes. As we also continue to assemble, and that, that food truck Friday ends, may that heart continue to our communion table. Whenever we get to return, we like to be people of movement, to come to the table and receive. We've been doing it out of little, little plastic cups for a long time trying to hold on to that image of a greater communion. We desire that that table is open to all who are desiring to come, that we would put up no walls between anyone saying, I want to draw near to Jesus and he's offering this to me, I, I'm coming. If you can put yourself in a position where that one person or that kind of person is walking down that aisle to take up that bread and that cup and your brow furrows. 
You look around, maybe your eyes dart around to see if anyone else is noticing who's coming to the table right now. Or your heart catches. No, not this one. I know them. Or, not this one. I don't know them, but I'm judging them. If we don't think, if you can't think of that person, I think we're fooling ourselves. And I think Jesus would call us dull. If we know there's that person or that kind of person, and we believe we should protect that table, it's right to do so and keep them from coming, then that reveals the pharisaical heart within us that we must repent of. And if we know there's that person and we're broken by it, because that still remains in our heart, have we somehow drifted from the incredible grace of God that has called us in our lostness and our legalism to his table to begin again? To again receive from him cleansing that nothing else in the world and no other behavior can bring but being in proximity to Jesus and receiving from him when he says, this is my body and this is my blood and it is for you right now. Whether in the next moment you walk out this door or in a few hours I call upon you to be with me and you fall asleep on me. I know your heart. I see you. But right now, This is for you. Take and eat. Receive. I welcome you. If the table of Jesus is this open, how can our communion not be? At our own tables in our homes, when we gather like this, when we come together on food trucks or in that sanctuary, We're called to extend the ministry of Jesus, the amazing grace of Jesus, to walk with him and to walk with others and to call everyone we can find to this place of belonging for it's what we've been made for. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we we receive. We receive again your words the way you say, come, follow me. The way you say, take and receive from me. The way you have welcomed us and poured out your grace. Grace upon grace we receive. Help us to receive, Lord. Forgive us where we have then turned through our behaviors to try to earn it. To try to receive more of your favor. To believe that in our actions, therefore you will bless us. Forgive our legalism, our pharisaical heart that is so natural and so counter to the truth of your gospel, the hope of your freedom, of your peace, of life with you. Forgive us, Lord, for putting up walls anywhere between those that would be inclined to come to you, to draw near to you, like the well of living water that you are. Forgive us, Lord. May we break them down Wherever we are able, may we extend your grace, invitation, and hospitality. May we trust you so much to do the work of transformation, of healing, of redemption that you alone can do. We receive again, Lord.
as we receive this communion, may it not just be habitual or religious, but once again from the heart, shaking our heads and smiling at the same time at your amazing grace and love for us, that you both lived and died and rose again for us. We love you, Lord Jesus. We renew our commitment to be with you and to follow you in the days to come. Help us through the power and the grace of your Holy Spirit. Amen.